Good afternoon and welcome to Trial by Fire podcast with your hosts, Stacey Huck and Rachel Kovac. This is Rach. Hi, everybody. Stace, how are you doing today? Pretty good. Of course, I always say pretty good and I don't know, but I'm pretty good. I'm making it. <laughs> We're back on a Monday, so hopefully I'll be out of the funk that was Tuesday last week. That was a very interesting time for us. It was like later in the afternoon. I had finished a double lecture. It was a different day in the week. I'm definitely glad we're back to our Monday, and I hope you all are too. Uh, we have a great day set up for us for our conversation, but we're going to let stay start with opening prayer. All right. So our prayer, no shocker, it's going to be another uh, another one of the days from the Auxilium Christian Orum. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. O God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we call upon thy name and humbly beseech thy clemency, that through the intercession of the ever-Virgin Mary, our Mother, and of the glorious Archangel St. Michael, thou wilt vouchsafe to help us against Satan and all the other unclean spirits that are prowling about the rural to the great peril of the human race and the loss of souls. Amen. Amen. Son Holy Spirit again. So it depends on what when you listen to us, but you guys don't know this, but y'all are actually listening to us today on the Feast of All Souls Day. So I think sometime in point today we'll probably touch on the Feast of All Souls, but also we want to um, finish up. This is going to be our third segment and final segment on toxicity. So... Uh, I want to applaud everyone that participated on our Facebook channel, um, Trial by Fire, as well as our Instagram feed, Trial by Fire Podcast. Uh, One of the things that I love most when we're monitoring our social media is the feedback you're sharing with us, the ideas that you have, the connections you make. And there were a bunch that we got last week. Uh, I think that uh, this is a great conversation starter. And more importantly, and what we, when Stacy and I were discussing this when we were creating this idea, is aiming for solutions, allowing this conversation between us to be an invitation for you to hear that calling to come and serve your church in a way that you are comfortable with and yet you are being called to do. Yeah, and honestly, I know we said we wouldn't always be specific to just hear the parish that we're actually located in in St. Pat's. But I must say, in in this time of the pandemic, it's been such a negative time, and we we rarely get positive news. But I just want to say, great things are happening at St. Pat's. I mean, recently, we have so many people stepping up to help us with our masses. And if you've been attending Mass here, you know it takes quite a bit of manpower to... uh, to get the masses off the ground every single weekend. And so I want to thank everyone uh, who stepped forward to help us, whether you're an old volunteer or a new volunteer. It's it's good. And, you know, we talked about uh, whether we were a dynamic parish a couple weeks ago. I think uh, that the people stepping forward and such just getting such positive responses lately from the congregation and the parishioners shows us that we're headed in the right direction and that we actually do have a really healthy volunteer pool here at uh, St. Pat's. So, so I'm excited. This is a, you don't often hear that side of me or see that side of me when you see me in person, but I'm actually, I feel like a little kid at Christmas right now. I'm pretty excited about all the good things that are happening in the parish. So... And coming from the voice of the young people, um, we've been fortunate to continue our confirmation classes via Zoom. And we'll discuss our podcast uh, between the different classes. And we have our year one students, our year two, and then uh, about every three weeks they come together, both year one and year two. And hearing their perspectives, hearing their drive to want to come serve once they are confirmed and wanting to think outside the box, it's been really great to hear and see. 
Uh, and another shout out to our amazing rock interns. Uh, those four young women, they're so creative out of the box. Um, yesterday, they led a digital scavenger hunt for our teens and confirmation. And they were able to grab crucifixes. They were able to grab Catholics in their home, different things to show that they ha are living their faith within their houses. And it's so fun to see that through a digital media outlet. And the winner got a Starbucks gift card. He was definitely not bummed. So <laughs> it, was, it was great. It was really great to see. Shout out to them. And really, when I see great things like that, it makes me feel a little better about toxicity and that we are heading toward the correct direction. Yeah. And I mean, we all, you know, we also were discussing in regards to toxicity, some of the things that either lead us down that road and some of the things we could do to actually remedy uh, different situations that may be toxic in the parishes that we, we call our parish family. And I have to say that uh, it's just been remarkable, I think, in, again, not to repeat myself, but in this time to see the people stepping forward. And, you know, sometimes I feel like people are such scam artists, you know, um, I'm not going to apologize for that either, but sometimes people use all the right language. And I talked about this a couple of weeks ago about, oh, we're such a welcoming place. We're such a welcoming church. And we're, you know what I like? We're so inclusive. And they use all these key words. But then it's just like when you come and you have the, you experience the people, it's just like, I don't know what I'm experiencing right now, but it's neither welcoming or inclusive. So I, I can't... Um, I can't stress enough how good it feels to hear people saying now that, you know, they feel welcomed here at St. Pat's, that they feel like, you know, the fathers uh, put out there the call that we needed extra help. People stepped forward and we said, yeah, we would love your help. So, you know, you never want to slap away a volunteer's hand. I mean, nothing, nothing can be more toxic than that. Like, hey, we're, we're in dire need of help, but not from you. <laughs> Just saying. And that happens all the time. And it's yeah. one of those to where whether you've been the victim of turning someone away or uh, or being turned away and then also having to be the one to redirect someone's role. It's hard. It is a very hard way to navigate and manage people, especially in a parish. And when they're coming on a volunteer basis where they're not being paid, they're coming from the goodness of their heart. That can be particularly stressful. So you need to be delicate. Yeah, I'm pretty um, certain you can't pink slip volunteers. No. Just saying. There's no performance review. There's no anything like that. Well, with interns, you can, though. I'm just with kidding. Oh, that's <laughs> messed up. <laughs> no, um, on the note of inclusivity, yeah, that you had mentioned earlier, um, this week I had the great fortune of attending my first funeral at St. Patrick's, which is so weird. What? Uh, I know. Isn't that the weirdest thing? You've been here like your whole life. I know. I just have never attended a funeral at this church. Um, I, my mom, as I've mentioned, comes from a giant family. She had 64 first cousins, which then all had kids and all had kids, but they were all Northern California. So all the Catholic funerals, everything were up North. And so, um, this was my first time in my home parish going to a funeral this week. And it was odd with COVID because you had to like make sure everything was distant. But I have to say it was the most beautiful memorial because uh, Leona, uh, may she rest in peace, uh, she was uh, had green thumb. She was all about gardening. So having her be surrounded by so many flowers in the rose garden, having the people she loved outside, the service held outside, 
uh, and seeing the people come and be respectful of the COVID protocols and be respectful of what our church needed to stay open and hold this opportunity. It was truly beautiful. And um, I could tell people were like, I can't believe this is even here. I didn't know the space existed. And it was a very inviting and uh, kind of to take the note Stacy was saying, having those opportunities to experience something like that in that space will allow more people to feel welcome and to feel connected. And that's good to hear because honestly, this is, I mean, is, everyone knows this, 2020 has been such an odd year, but especially how ironic that today we sit here on the Feast of All Souls Day and, you know, there's so many people that have lost either loved ones or people close to them, whether they were, you know, blood relatives or not. And there hasn't been that closure for a lot of people because, it just feels like such an odd time where there was a period where we weren't having funerals and then, you know, we were given the okay to have funerals, but they're limited to the size and number. And, you know, you have people that don't want to maybe mix with other people. There's a lot of complications. And so there's a lot of people out there, I would I would think, this is just my opinion, but I think there's still a lot of people out there who feel like whenever that death occurred, that it's probably still very fresh for them because there hasn't been that normal course of, of closure. So, you know, that's, that's, that's actually kind of refreshing to hear that you had a, you know, a nice experience because you know that there's people out there who haven't experienced that. That's why I think, uh, again, just my personal opinion, this All Souls Day, if you can get into a church, it's probably going to be one of the bigger masses, I would think, no matter where you are, because I think a lot of people will be looking at that All Souls Day, especially since All Saints f- fell on a Sunday. They'll be looking at All Souls Day for that closure for their loved one. So... You know, I don't know. What do you think? Uh, I think I know for myself. I take uh, Dia de Muertos very seriously. Um, I've been, I was a total bear about it actually in my house. So I apologize to my family. I like made it like my day. It was like I was like hyper focused. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's just, not morbid at all. No, I no, I was very you know. After experience as much death as I have, you know, coming from big families, death is a consequence. I had to train my heart and mind to view it as a celebration. Like if I, if I crumbled every time someone died, I wouldn't be breathing. I'd be devastated, but understanding that we have that day to celebrate them. And I think especially because this year was so weird, I wanted something normal and celebrating the dead was something so normal. Um, I will admit I set it up yesterday. I love my old friend that I got everything set up. Uh, but oddly enough, my dog got so into it. Like she was just like laying by it. She wouldn't leave. And usually she's always like my right hand. She wouldn't leave it. It was so bizarre. I was just like, and even my family was looking and they're like, why is zoo acting so weird? But maybe it's just something. Maybe a visitor came. Who knows? All I know is, um, I'm very happy to be celebrating today and to be able to go to Mass this evening at 5.30 here at St. Patrick's. That's pretty cool, yeah. I'm kind of out of practice, I would say, with All Souls. All Souls is a huge, well, actually, All Saints and All Souls is a huge celebration where I come from in South Louisiana. So typically about the month before, you know, in the month of October, depending on if we have hurricanes or what kind of weather we got going on, Basically, almost that whole month is spent prepping your grave. That sounds really morbid. I know I just called Rachel out about that. But you spend the whole month uh, cleaning, uh, weeding, uh, gosh, whitewashing. I'm scarred from memories of that. But, you know, pressure washing, getting all the mold off the graves and everything, getting the grave to look really beautiful. 
uh, when All Souls Day comes, you know, you have the best of the flowers. Everyone's in the graveyard. There's tons of little kids running around the graveyard. And um, you go basically and you stand in front of your grave and Father comes to every uh, every grave and blesses it with holy water. On the years that the weather's bad, a lot of times they'll put Father either on the back of a pickup truck or they'll put him on a tractor and drive him through the graveyard. And you stand there with your rubber boots and your umbrella and you wait. So it was always a really huge day uh, for us. And, you know, you think the people from Louisiana are crazy. I'll tell you, the people in South Louisiana, they ain't no kind of weather that cancels All Souls Day, baby. They, they're out there. The priests sometimes don't even want to be there because the weather's so bad. And then they're putting him on the, well, come on now. They put, she's giving me the look. They're, they put him on the back of a metal uh, truck. <laughs> it's kind of a lightning hazard. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I mean, so. I'm trying to visualize. If, this is where I think I'm very California. Trying to imagine a priest standing on the back of a pickup, blessing as you go. Like it's funny. Like it's a very well, funny sometimes. Image. I mean, in some years the priest was a little older, so he had to sit on the tailgate while they drove him. He couldn't stand. This <laughs> oh, getting funnier. But I mean, remember our graveyards don't look like yours. No, your okay. I, I mean, had so great fortune have, of visiting uh, Louisiana. Um, cemetery when i was in the worst bachelorette party ever um and we did a cemetery tour and those cemeteries are so neat they yeah are so i mean neat. i can remember being a little kid running all around the cemetery not at night because i'm super duper spooky but during the day you know Wait, you're the spooky one scaring the dead or you are spooked by the dead no because in my culture um death is not like a freaky thing I mean, I can remember going to funerals when I was a little kid. I can remember going to see tons of people as they were, well, I think my parents sometimes told me they weren't dead yet to not freak us out as kids. But I'm fairly certain as an adult looking back that when your lips are blue, you're probably gone. Just saying. Oh, my God. (laughs) I'm just saying. But as a little kid, as a little kid, come on. I mean, you're just like, oh, yeah. And you're like, they're like, yeah, go kiss them and say goodbye. And you're like, all right. And then you get to be an adult and you're like, hey, that might have been kind of messed up. Oh, I I laugh so hard because um, my grandpa, he was like my best friend. He was so great. And when he died his at his rosary, I really thought he was punking us, like, in, like, a little way. It was, like, my denial that he had died. And um, we were having the rosary. We were saying it. And we had a priest who, God love him, he just couldn't connect. And we were, like, it's okay. Like, just go. You know, we're trying his best. And suddenly I looked down and our dog sitter, who had been watching my parents' dogs, texted me, call me right now. I'm, like, what? And I get in the middle of the rosary. So I step outside and, you know, I knew my family could take care of the rest. So I'm telling, and one of the dogs went missing. And they remind you, we're eight hours away. There's no way I could take care of it. I'm like, oh my God. And not only was it a dog, it was the baby. It was the pup. And I'm like, oh, my parents are going to lose it. So I'm trying to manage it. And Rebecca finds me pacing, trying to redirect the dog sitter, find the dog. And my younger sister comes and she goes, Rage, what happened? I'm like, Peanut's gone. She goes, what? And she's trying to, like, calm down, like, be like, okay. And then my dad steps in the door. He goes, girls, you need to say goodbye to Grandpa. Like, it's time. So I'm trying to have my moment to say goodbye to Grandpa, let him go. And Rebecca goes, and she, like, is shaking. 
And I know she's laughing, but my dad thinks she's crying. So he, like, goes over. He's like, Rebecca, like, Rebecca, it's okay. Like, he'll always be with you. And I'm like, oh, my God, Rebecca, don't ruin this. And she get, we get in the car because I took my car. And I'm like, what did you tell Grandpa? She goes, I said, Grandpa, it's not funny to hide Peanut. Like, bring her back. Like, blah, blah. And she just knew it would be his sense of humor. And I messed with the dog at his wake. Luckily, that night, they did find her. She was under the deck. She had been afraid of the dog sitter. Uh, but my parents did, you know, I was just, it was such a grandpa joke at the time. It was just a little practical jokes at funerals, but I guess most people don't find funerals very funny. I don't, of course, traditionally, but you got to find the humor. Otherwise you just, you just go away. Yeah. I know. I'm, I'm odd though. I will admit. I don't think, I don't think you're odd at all. Just kidding. Now there's like dead silence. I know. Like rude. Well, tailoring back to toxicity though you know kind of because of course you guys know rachel stacy tangents that's our our way you know we are talking solutions and knowing that we are on the path to success is really good and we're really fortunate that we have a guest here today to be able to chat with us so father beto thank you for being here finally i got my moment i was waiting on you to jump in no i was just waiting for green light there you go Hmm. No, well, we are so thrilled no, to have thank you. you. Thank you for inviting me. No, we've been excited to have you since uh, we proposed the idea before we even like filmed. We're like, hey, you dig this? Yeah. So were you saying, <laughs> do you think Father will come if we invite him? That's exactly what we were saying. Bingo. See, there's okay. Just don't know. No, I don't bite. Don't. I hope not. Yeah, I don't bite. No, I'm no. Friendly. But you know, you we. I'm very lucky because I met you when you were a deacon. Here at this parish, she's lucky. Yeah, I was, I'm I, was a little, I was a little kid. You were a young deacon here, and then you mm. left, and then I left, and then you came back, and then I came back. So it's like it's been super great. Essentially, mm. growing up with you, for me, I felt like it's like oh, it worked out. And then Stacy's known you through the professional level. Yes, because I'm always professional, strong and mighty. I'm always professional. Yes. Yeah. Psych! Can we have that? Yeah. Back? <laughs> nope. Not at all. Odd back. Well, I for one am glad that Father Beto is here because we kind of laid the groundwork the last two weeks with toxicity and we caught him up to speed on what we have been talking about and we want to continue that this is an open forum that, you know, um, he's here just to express his opinions just like I, I and Rachel are. And so, um, you know, I think it was two weeks ago we talked about how the unique thing about being in employed in a parish is the fact that a lot of times the staff stays the same but the pastor changes and if you kind of subscribe to the theory that i do which is a, a theory of obedience then the parish never becomes stale because as a pastor comes in he sees uh he views the parish through his own lens so to speak so he sees uh problematic areas he sees things that we do really great he sees things that are lacking that he would like to do and he really uh I wouldn't say he imposes because that's kind of a that's kind of poor verbiage, but he definitely brings his vision for the parish and how he sees it, which is nice because it's it's probably ninety nine percent of the time I would say it's unbiased. So, um, so Father, enlighten us. What can we do better here? Well, you were mentioning about every priest. Yeah, we are different. Every priest is different in every church. Sometimes, uh, you know, I listen to people saying, you know, I really miss this priest, that priest, because they were like this, like that. Yeah, we're different. And every priest has to bring in his own uh, 
you know, uh, weight to the church. What, what I like to do is just respect what the church is doing, the church that I go. I, I don't really want to change many things that are happening. I just want to improve them and make them like uh, in a better way, I might say. Especially forming, educating, and uh, just trying to celebrate the best, the best I can. Yeah, and I'll I'll say, um, you know, in my time here with you, that's one thing that has impressed me about you is that uh, you have this just this willingness that I, I know for myself. All I need to do is either you know call or if I run into you and say, Father, do you have a couple minutes for me? I want to run something by you, and then you know you are always available, and then you're really. I would say, I don't know if I'm going to do this justice, but I would say you're more invested not in making a decision, but learning about what the situation is before you make the decision. And then you're always really super sensitive to, um, you know, how it's how the outcome is going to be for the people or for that in particular person. Because that's, that's one thing I've noticed about you is you're very, very personal, um, not in regards to like your personal life, but with people, there's they're not just parishioners; they're actually individuals, and you're invested in helping them either grow closer closer to Christ or to uh, remedy whatever the break is in the relationship they have spiritually with the church. And so that's been something that's really you know impressed me about you because I, as Rachel mentioned, I didn't really know you until you were assigned to us, and um, I don't only knew what I heard. Who's that guy? Yeah. <laughs> well, I would say who's that tall guy, but everybody's taller than me, so that's not very descriptive. But um, that's one thing I think that's really impressed me about you. You know, you know when you're in the seminary and you're just getting closer to finishing your formation, uh, getting closer to ordination, you are trying to find the ways to shape your, you know, uh, ministry. So I remember this priest in the seminary uh, that when I was going for spiritual direction, he said. Do you want your, your community to help you, to be there for you, to support you, have volunteers and, and, and support in many ways? Just be available for people and be good to them. You know, I've been telling in my ministry that uh, I don't need to speak about, you know, give more money or give more people to help. Just, you know, be there for them when they need you. Be good to them. You know, celebrate good masses, uh, celebrate good sacraments, and, and people will respond to that. And you don't need to ask for help. People, you know, offering themselves to, to help. Yeah, and I think, like, in my, our second episode, we touched upon that, that, you know, some of the errors uh, of modern liturgy. And that, you know, when you have good liturgy and you're doing it the way that it's supposed to be done, it stands on its own, and it draws the people in. It may not draw them every single mass, but it, it itself on its own will draw people in. And it, it has a mm-hmm. unique advantage, which um, I would say the same thing about you. I like the way you meet people where they are. Uh, because I know in my role here at St. Pat's, uh, I was a lot younger when I got hired here than I am now. But, uh, you know, that's something that I was always sensitive to is, is meeting people where they are. Uh, some of my colleagues, uh, you know, would say, oh, you know, you have to be careful not to water down Catholicism. You know, I think there is a huge gaping chasm in between watering down Catholicism and meeting people where they are. Because just because you meet someone where they are does not mean you're either condoning like a sinful or immoral behavior or that you're, you know, modifying church teaching to fit them or to fit their lives at that particular time. You're just meeting them where they are and saying like, hey, God's here. The church is here for you. 
let's just try to form a relationship and go forward, you know. So I think that's very important, especially in this day and age, especially as, you know, I mean, I'm sitting around the table with, with two other people that know this. I, I don't even have to preface it that, you know, we are a strict uh, religious tradition and we do have uh, rules and guidelines and we don't want to, um, you know, kind of be just rules and guidelines and nothing else. Because actually incorporating the faith into our lives is, um, you know, that's one of the most difficult things we do every day. It's just, let's face it, if doing the right thing was easy, our lives would be a lot easier, so to speak, you know? Yeah, speaking about uh, rules and guidelines, uh, this is what makes a, a, a parish be more available and approachable and approachable than any other other parishes. When, when really you impose things to, to obey them because they had you know, to be obeyed or to try to teach people, you know, in a nice way how to follow them and keep them. Definitely. There are rules and, and, and regulations in, in, in families also, you know, when when you as a as a parent you try to you teach yeah. and guide and correct your children and you know, last Sunday uh, at the Spanish mass I was telling people now, you know, I kind of understand parents when you try to correct them and, and, and uh teach them and they kind of uh, disobey you. So <laughs> me as a priest, sometimes when I, you know, at the homilies or the end of the masses, I say, you know, this is the way we're doing at St. Patrick's. And this is the way we have it here. And people, you know, still, they say, no, we want our way. What well, else can you do? I know. Now I'm going to put you on the spot, Father. That's Oops. probably got to be one of your pet peeves because I know that's one of my pet peeves is that's, uh, we often speak about ways the church gets herself in trouble. And it's like, you know, we have these guidelines, we have these rules. There's certain things we don't get choices on. But when other churches either, you know, start lending themselves into a little gray area or letting things slide, it makes it much more difficult for the parish who's, who are adhering to whether it's bishops' directives or, you know, church teaching as a whole. It can make us kind of difficult for us here, especially at St. Pat's, where we are geographically not that far from, you know, quite a few other Catholic churches. Especially from Los Angeles. That, that also, mm-hmm. yeah. So, yeah, that does blur the lines for us. That's difficult. I, 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 I got to think that as a priest, that's got to that's gotta hurt when people come to you and they, you know, they say, well, I can't believe you're doing this here because so-and-so down the road's not doing this. Why are you doing this? This doesn't work for us, and it's very hurtful. I got to think that's hurtful for you because you're just trying to fulfill the will of God. You know, every church, uh, during this time I've been in only two churches, one for a funeral and one for a wedding. And I see it is different, every church, in, in regards to uh, the seating area and then the distancing and then the... Uh, the implementation of the uh, the rules, which is, you know, the face masks and things like that. But uh, comparing to, to those churches, I already told people we are doing a, a tremendous job. Huh? We're doing a good job. I think so. Yeah, I, think I would so. agree. I think that um, looking at the way our church has responded to not only the community's need, but also the state standards, I have to applaud that we meet everything with fidelity, that we uh, our volunteers are trained to send the people away that cannot mm-hmm. be here. Um, and, you know, the, those who do ha- come with a negative perspective, we are the kind of parish that will have those positive conversations. And we'll be able to be like, this is the reason. If you are not comfortable, please come back when you are. And, you know, it's, and it's not mean to set mm-hmm. that firm line. Some people, you know, some people get like act like, especially when it came to confirmation this year, 
because we were in such a weird area with the standards, a lot of families were blaming me. Like, as if I created the seating chart and I created these things, like, this is it. And I'm like, no, like, we are doing this out of response to the state in order for your child to receive the sacrament. And um, trying to relay that in such a po- in a positive and secure way and still being told, like, no, this is you. You want this. I'm like, okay, you, you go with that. This is me. Uh, Father, as a, the priest, as the uh, primary person of this parish, how does it feel when people will just look at you and go, you're wrong? Like, especially and say that he gives me all their names and I take care of it. No, just yeah. kidding. <laughs> no, I have that a lot. I have that a lot in every parish. You know, there's always people coming to you, but you have to, this, this is what, what is going to make a difference the way you respond to them, you know, in a nice way and make them understand. Like if we decided to do it this way here in Ariorande, it's because we consider it to, to be the best, the best way. I know that some people, they are visitors who are coming from other places or near the other church. And they say, once I went to this other church and they, and they have this way, why don't you have it this way? And I said, well, no, because we have it this way. And we have to accommodate. It's like, you invite me to your house, Rach, or to your house, I will do what you ask me to do. Really? I'm be doing my will. Like, I want to sit here and no matter what, no, Father, this is your place. I want you to be sitting here and this is this is the food that we're going to serve. There is no, you know. So we have to understand that. Yeah. Well, and it's definitely been a difficult role for us, I would say, during the pandemic. I mean, it's hard to swallow that we were lumped in with just everything else. And, and for me, uh, I don't even enter, and I do not want to enter into the religious liberty conversation, but it I think the hardest thing for me to swallow is just that it's not an, it's considered an essential service. And, I mean, personally, I was so happy when we were able and the censure was kind of lifted that we could return to Mass, uh, whether there was an obligation to or not, because everything is so negative. I, I thought more than ever, I don't understand how it's not essential because people are literally just clamoring for something good. You know, they need something good in their lives right now. And, you know, I will say on that note, you know, we're the three of us here, we are very dedicated to our practice, dedicated to our faith. I'm not. But, yeah, stay, spoiler just, alert. You gotta be honest. Be. <laughs> I'm not. <clears throat> but I will say, you know. Thank we, you for telling me. Uh, we'll write it down. We'll be ready for confessions. Uh, <laughs> confessions before Mass tonight. But, um, no, um, I will say that when we were first allowed to go to Mass, for me, it had been two months since I had received the Eucharist. I did not expect the overwhelming emotion I felt consuming the Eucharist. It was like, I felt it was so, so emotional after being away from it for so long out of these forced mandates. It wasn't that I was, no, like, fell away from God. It wasn't because, I, you know, my family and I, we were watching it live stream. We were doing this. But then actually being in church and receiving the Eucharist, it was a complete emotional experience for me. And I feel like when I hear that churches aren't deemed essential, I go, what? Like, what are you talking about? Like, and after what I experienced, how could it not be? How can it not be essential to your entire being? And I would say that... And yet Starbucks is. But yeah. don't get me wrong, as I'm drinking my Starbucks, so, like, it is essential. <laughs> like, I, I get it. It allows me to breathe and exist and be here right now. But to kind of ask yourself, like, the church is not, but your coffee is. Yeah. I, I really struggle with that. And I ask the reason, I would, normally I don't think I would have, I'm just being honest here, an appreciation for you saying that you you were overwhelmed with the first time you received again. 
But, you know, I think, I don't think we discussed it on air, but I think we discussed um, probably a month, month and a half into the pandemic. Uh, I asked uh, Father or Christina, I can't remember, for permission to send out an email to all of our ministers here just to get a feeler for who would be willing to come back. I mean, when I sent this email, obviously I had no inclinations that it would be October or November and we still would be sitting in this situation. But um, anyways, part of the email, you know, I, I felt really bad for people just as the fact we weren't considered essential. And one of the things I talked about in the email was how uh, – when Pope Emeritus Benedict was still Cardinal Ratzinger, one of the books he wrote in Behold the Pierce one, he talks about uh, Augustine toward the end of his life doing this self-imposed Eucharistic fast because he wants to be basically the best version of himself because he knows that death is imminent. And it really got me thinking because I'd never never thought about this before that uh, now we were going to be, it wasn't going to be a self-imposed Eucharistic fast. It was going to be just this secular imposed Eucharistic fast. And that's something we've never experienced before. Because even though we have a decline in our clergy numbers, we still can pretty much go to Mass whenever we want. I mean, we actually here, I know both in my home in Louisiana and here where I live here, geographically speaking, I have absolutely no excuse to not be at Mass on the weekend because there's so many Mass times, right? And we just had not experienced that in the modern times. Like in, in our age or even, you know, We'd have to go back pretty darn far to find a time when, you know, mass was really scarce in the United States, you know? I would argue that it was probably the Depression. Like, but still, for argue... us, that's not our modern time. That's not our in our well, lifetime. No, no, I, would, I agree. But I'm saying, like, to support your point, I think that would be the furthest back that America could have feasibly experienced that fast. Because maybe there just wasn't there. Well... The only bad thing about that is, or not bad thing, but the only thing you got to think about in relation to that, and I guess here comes the tangent, is that's where you get a lot of those cultural churches, those ethnic churches from when you go to mm-hmm. metropolitan areas and you would have like the Italian church, you know, you got the Polish church, the Ukraine, you got all these different kind of, and geographically, it's like, man, if you drop the bomb, you'd wipe out like half of the Catholics in the area because all their churches are located so close. You know what I mean? No, they were a tight knit community that would have kind of rallied their kind of support and their forces together. So, but anyways, uh, back to what we were talking about. Sorry about that. Yeah, I mean, I can appreciate the longing and, you know, the fulfillment at finally receiving again because it was not something we were used to. It just wasn't. So, Father, have you experienced uh, parishioners returning and, like, just overwhelmingly thanking you for hosting things back? Or is it more because of the distance you have to kind of wave and be like, peace, like, yeah, it was so nice to see you, and let them go? No, people really appreciate to come back to church, especially in regards to, it is when you lose something, is when you appreciate it. You know, I was having it every Sunday for so many many masses that I had and, and then now that I don't have the opportunity to go and then I had now the chance to go back it's like okay I flavor and I you know really uh, experience the, 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 the liking for the masses yeah and we, we talked about that early on that you know because of the pandemic there's kind of been a reordering uh, you know we, we spoke about Augustine's self-imposed fast and our secular imposed fast you know with the pandemic there's really been uh, a just a secular imposition of priorities. And we see people kind of shifting to, you know, from certain thing activities 
two different activities and a reordering of their lifestyle, so to speak. So I, I actually think, you know, when it COVID, it's a bad thing, right? I mean, it's, it's not much good you can say. But for us as a church, I really see it being a time of growth and, and appreciation. Like you were saying, you've got to, you got to, because you got to miss something, right? Mm-hmm. You got to be lacking before you can miss it. You got to go without before you realize it's missing. And how many people, you know, everyone is so engaged these days. You're so engaged. You have everything at your fingertips. It's like instant gratification, right? There are plenty of people who are walking around, uh, irregardless of their age, who who really feel like something is missing from their life, but they can't put their finger on it, you know? And it could be the spiritual component. Because let's face it, as technology advances, uh, man lives longer, and as he becomes more and more autonomous, his need and his dependence on God really lessens. That's, that sounds negative, but, it, I mean, it's, that's just the way it is. One of the things that really helped is that uh, now with the uh, social media, uh, we were close to people, in, in well, at least through the Internet for the masses. You know, people, they were sending us, Father Vince and myself, lots of uh, uh, cards and, and emails and texts saying, Father, we appreciate so much that at least we had the opportunity to see our St. Patrick's to uh, YouTube, which is which is a blessing, you know. And this is a great opportunity to acknowledge all the churches in in in, in the world that we are using the technology to to reach out to to people. So this is this is a great opportunity. Yeah, I agree, and it definitely was a blessing. I would say, you know, and it's got to be nice, you know, because. Obviously, anybody can stream the daily masses from the oh, yeah. from Santa Marta and in, in the Vatican or Bishop Barron or whatever. But there's a certain sense of comfort that the fact that they were able to see the inside of St. Patrick's with their two priests. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And they told me, Father, we saw you on TV. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Did you tell them you'd sign autographs when uh, you're not going to shake hands anymore? You're going to sign autographs yeah, at yeah. the mass. Mm-hmm. All right. I'll just wait and be like, I need an autograph before you go. That'll be perfect. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to sell mine on eBay. Ooh. Oh. Ooh. Just say, yeah. I'm like, yeah. what are you signing? We'll an LSU hat? Are you going to sign it and set an LSU hat and auction it? No, Father's going to sign, not me. My signature is not worth nothing. Not worth anything at all. <laughs> you know, another thing that I was I, I, I could say is that people were, were kind of, you know, last Sunday in, in one of the announcements, they, they said, well, thank you for your patience. And then I, I, I added to that that, yes, uh, during this time, we have been tested to, to the limits of our patience, but we need to make sure that we continue to pray for patience because uh, this No, time, don't pray for patience, Father. Of course. No, no we if we pray for patience, then God will send us more things to make us patient. We're good. Well, okay. <laughs> so, but, but people have been saying, Father, why don't you do a little bit more, you know, fight for, you know, bringing the people back to church and things like that, you know. Having a a bad revolution to bring back to masses where we're going to be infecting people, I'd rather say, you know, our revolution will be obedience, respect, order, discipline. Something that some people don't realize that we can teach and uh, increase and it's helping a lot of people you know to really see this as a time of okay let's accommodate to what the church is offering you know only 60 seats only 50 chairs available okay let us accommodate to that if i can go uh, physically to participate in mass of uh, i'll do it if not i will 
watch the mass on, on, on the internet. I think one thing I've noticed as being a parishioner and now an employee here at St. Patrick's is this uh, quarantine has made people be much more punctual to mass in terms of arriving on time. Uh, because especially, you know, my home mass 6 p.m. That's not yet been reopened. Um, but I do go to the 5 p.m. on Saturdays now. And uh, before you got used to at the 6 p.m. mass, you'd have the five minutes before everyone's strangling in. You have the priest walk in, mass start, and then the 15 minutes after, stragglers would come in and take the seats. <laughs> and you, were, you got used to your people. Like, you were like, oh, man, like, ponytail guy didn't come in until, like, 20 minutes in. And then, like, you got, like, blondie over here. And, like, you just knew the families. And you're like, oh, I'm worried you're not here. Like, you know, like, you didn't come in late. And, like, and it's weird because you don't even know their names, but you know them and their seats where they are. And... I think that that's something that's been really good in, ter in terms of the pandemic is, that, you know, people have had to make the reservations to come and get their seats. They've had to make sure their entire family can come. And if not, you are robbing other people of the opportunity to go to mass. And you kind of get to be like, hey, you told me you were going to go. You're choosing not to for whatever reason. And now you've ruined it for someone else. And you have to be like, no. So I think that this accountability piece, when I think about the reservation concept, it's actually been really, I like it. Like I, as I've gotten into it, I feel like, okay, you're holding your family and yourself accountable that if you are willing to commit to this spot, you are committing to the fact that you are going to go and you are. And if you don't, you're robbing another person of that opportunity. Mind you, you know, from my experience, we haven't been needed to turn anyone away. That hasn't been the case. Um, if people don't come, you just take those little spots. But I think that that is raising the bar for people. And it's making them go like, oh, I'm not going to be the straggler that comes at the gospel. I've been here the whole time. Like, it's kind of turned that away a little bit. Yeah, and a couple of weeks ago, I had an interesting conversation. Not not one I started, uh, but anyways, with someone. <laughs> that's... <laughs> I didn't start it because I would never start these kind of conversations. But anyways, you know, earlier Father was mentioning about how you got to miss something, you know, and we were talking about it and they actually, they started the conversation with me and they were talking about how, you know, I never really thought about it until we couldn't come that I take communion every Sunday. Who cares? Just what I do. I'm Catholic. And they really, they were just, they were not coming from a sacrilegious point of view. They were really just coming from a point of view that like, this was like a part of the mass. This was like is, this was like as automatic to them as like at the end, at the end of the Our Father they say Amen. You know what I mean? And it, it, at least it sounded to me that they were reevaluating their reception of the Eucharist. And so as we started talking, I was you know we just started talking about church law and different things like that. Only because the conversation limited it that way. And I was saying, well, you know, technically we we do come to mass every Sunday and we're obligated to come. But we're not obligated to be in that communion line because unless we're properly disposed. And they were like, well, what do you mean? So then we started talking about some different things about, you know, like sin, mortal sin, and, and different things like that. And they're like, you know, I never thought about that because I know there's times I shouldn't have been in the communion line. And I said, you see, being more cognizant of that fact right there leads to not taking it for granted. And to not, and it helps to alleviate some of that automatic uh, business that you got going on, right? And they're like, you know, I never thought about it. And they're like, well, now that we're talking about it, doesn't it seem like we should go to confession more than just once a year? And I went, well, 
I don't know about <laughs> you, but I certainly got to go more than once a year in order to enter that line. I got to go more than once a year, you know. And, and uh, of course, I'm being kind of, I'm kind of joking around right now. I mean, I wasn't being harsh with this person. We were just kind of having a – it was actually a pleasant conversation. But they when they went to walk away from me, they are like, you know, Stacey, I just want to thank you because you gave me a lot to think about. And, you know, one of my goals for the for the pandemic is that now that I've been coming back to church and I kind of like – I felt like I grew spiritually. When everything is said and done and it goes back to normal, I, I don't want to be automatic on Sunday when I'm at Mass anymore. And I said, well, there you go. I was like, you know, I was talking to someone else uh, early on in the pandemic, and it was funny because it happened during Lent. And I'm like, wow. I'm like, so if you're Catholic, basically you're getting overtime for Lent. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We're like stuck in this perpetual season of Lent over here with, you know, sacrifice and things. And so they were like, you know, it's it's really given me a lot, a, a lot to think about. And I'm really, I think my goal is to never be automatic again. And I was just like, that's all of our goals, because I I would love to tell you that I've never been automatic, but I know that I have, you know, so. Yeah, we go back to the saying that uh, it is until you lose it that you appreciate it, and uh, but for many people they come to realize that it is not just to come to mass but to receive communion, uh, because there is no there is no benefit by by just coming to mass and not participating in in the, in the communion line, uh, but with this I'm not you know you know, pushing people away from, from coming to church, thinking, oh, okay, Father wants us to receive communion, and I'm not in a disposition to yeah. receive communion right now, so then why do I go? No, uh, there is another another way to uh, get some uh, uh, benefit from the, from the Eucharist, you know, the Word, the, the homily, and, and seeing all the people. But this time of the pandemic has been people back to the uh, appreciation of the Eucharist a little bit more. Yeah. I think which is really poignant for us because, uh, you know, as um, belief in the true presence begins to dip, I think this really helps us in that area, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, I can see that. Mm-hmm. I think uh, one question I have for you, Father, since we have you here um, thinking about toxicity and, you know, your, your view as the pastor of our church, you've been able to see... Uh, the like the great support you have and the areas of that need to improve. Um, one of the things that as a parishioner at St. Patrick's, I'm so grateful that you know when you give a homily, for example, and you're sitting at mass and you're hearing, when you're finished, you go to your seat. I look and there's so many people that just go, "Wow," or "Wow, that was good," and you know you see like they're mumbling and they're processing it. And so thinking about you know that you put your heart and your time into these. Uh, what is an area of frustration that you have that, like, when you know you've, like, not to brag, but, like, you know you've knocked it out of the park. Like, you know you've been, like, hey, like, this is killer. But then there's a frustration of, like, okay, I said it, and maybe, like, 15% of it's sunken. Or, like, something, like, where you're, like, oh, maybe it, like, only hit, like, 20% of people. What what would you recommend for people of your parish or parishes around when they hear homily and they connect? What is something that you recommend people do so they continue living out what you've said and use the words to be that gear for you? You know, uh, you, you go to church not to see the priest. That's the first thing. It's, uh, well, of course, some people identify with, okay, I like to go to St. Patrick's because this priest. Or I like to go to San Luis Obispo because this other priest. But let me tell you something. If we go to church just because we want to see this priest preaching or this priest celebrating 
that's not a good thing to begin with. We go to church because we are trying to follow Christ. And if the priest doesn't preach or doesn't celebrate the Mass uh, in, in regards to presenting Christ to the people so that they follow, and then the uh, the mission is not complete. Uh, you know, my preaching will be empty if I don't if I don't try to uh, invite people to have a, a challenge for, for their lives in, in regards to living every week until we see again for church, that I, there is something to do. Like, okay, I will preach my homily in regards to, okay, I have something to do in between every Sunday so that when I arrive to church for the following Sunday, okay, I completed my mission, I completed my task or what the homily or what the gospel was inviting me to, to fulfill. So now I'm here for, for more. So give me more. So, but let's begin with, let us not go to church just to follow the priest or to follow the deacon or to follow the, the lecturer who reads really, really good. Let's go to church try, trying to find Christ in everything that is happening around the celebration. Yeah, that's that's great advice. We we talked about uh, talked about that in the past about how, you know, the uh, y'all are just human, and there's some things you're great at and some things not so good, and you know you got things that you like a lot, and you know those are your favorite things, and sometimes you got lesser tasks that you know either you don't care to do as much, and you have to work at it just like we do. So, and, and, you know, um, I would echo what Father just said, too, because, you know, to come just for a specific priest, I mean, that's kind of, like, contrary to the actual whole vocation of the priesthood, because he's supposed to be celebrating in persona Christi. Mm -hmm. He's celebrating putting himself last. Um, so if you're coming and putting the priest on a pedestal, or you're just coming just to a certain one, you And, know, of course, you cannot separate that feeling from people, and I appreciate it, you know, People, even for Christ, they were following him because they saw in him something they didn't see in anybody else before. So they said, you know, come, come and see this man, you know. It's different from all the prophets, all the people. So, but if, uh, well, okay, I'm bringing people back to church because of my personality. But if I don't use that, that in my preaching, in my celebrations, in baptisms, in celebrations like that, don't make people understand the meaning of coming to church in a different way, then I'm not doing my mission. No, because and, I'm just praising myself. And then what happens when you leave? Exactly, people. Ah, you know. Yeah, they have exactly. nothing to fall back on because that whatever feeling they got by coming to see you celebrate mass, um, they don't get anymore. So are they gonna even cross our doorways anymore? Yeah. You know. Can you imagine following me to Santa Cruz if I move to Santa Cruz? No. I'm not following so. you, Santa Cruz. No, this is the, this is the thing. <laughs> That's a you weird know, place. God has given me the blessing <laughs> that every time. Uh, I am asked to go to a different church because my time is, is, is done or is over. Uh, I always say to people, you know, uh, I'm leaving. You know, let me go. And there's another priest coming. You have to be ready to love and embrace and help this other guy who is coming. Yeah, and I would, I would just like to interject that that statement that he just made, I actually remember uh, one of the first meetings we had when you put together uh, this lit a liturgy committee way back when you first got here. I remember that was like one of the first things you said before you even did the opening prayer, that you just prefaced the meeting with, you know, you wanted good liturgy and that everyone that was sitting at the table had to be underneath the understanding that uh, you not, didn't necessarily want to change anything. You just wanted good liturgy, but you you didn't want to bring anything that you always do or anything else. You wanted to see what was done here and then go from there. 
So I, that always impressed me because I, I had a similar attitude when I got hired here for St. Pat's that, you know, I wasn't a parishioner here. I, you can't broke or you can't fix what's not broke. You know what I mean? So I wanted to see what they did here before there's no, re, no, no rhyme or no reason for me to come in with these grand ideas if I'm not even open to what they do here yet, mm-hmm. you know. That's, that's super alienating, I think, to people, and it's very put-offish, um, you know, if you just come in, kind of reinvent the wheel type deal. So that's funny, because I come from a not opposite experience, but a different point of view. Um, in our family, like, we, I know for my, especially my parents, like, they instilled that elevated stance for priests in that respect. It was like the priests were here, like, you look up, like, they are... You know, what they are saying is coming from God. Like, you need to listen. And uh, when I moved away for my undergrad, it was the same year uh, Father Pedro was going to the Vatican and uh, Father Joe Butters was retiring. So it was like all within the same month. I moved and then these two priests left. And my mom just like was so heartbroken. She was like, it was like this foundation of hers, the me being her oldest daughter, and then these two priests that had helped her in her spiritual path just crumbled. Like she was like, oh my god, I don't know what to do. And of course she recovered. And you know she's been you know still volunteering, doing everything the past fifteen years. Um, but it was really interesting to see that kind of heartbreak that came when your priests leave and when these norms are taken away. And hearing from both of your perspectives of like, oh, you know, if they move on, you go. It's like I lived with an example of like when they go, you just are heartbroken. But it's also a good thing, though. It's especially your calling to go and be accept and move forward. Um, also, when I got my role as a youth minister, it was uh, you say you don't want to like go in and change. But when I came in, it was kind of ha- it was a have to because I came with a foundation of nada. <laughs> there wasn't much there. Um, it was like I came in with my perspective of what I knew, and the prior minister before me was moving away to go teach in another city, and so it was just I had the blueprints in my experience, but nothing else. So it's kind of I did have to navigate, but learning from both of you, learning from our uh, parish staff on how to grow. The first year was a nice roller coaster, but we survived and went through and had some great confirmed teens. And now this year is even better, even in response to a global pandemic. <laughs> I, I understand when people say, you know, it really breaks my heart to see my priests move or go. I understand because uh, in a good way, people get attached to, to the priests for the services, for the words, for the kindness, things like that. But it's up to the next priest to to continue to be nice, to... Uh, and one of the things that God had given me as a, as a blessing is that every every church that I arrive, even coming back to St. Patrick's, I say, you know, I, I'm not here for you, uh, to for you to love me and appreciate me. Just give me your chance to gain your your appreciation, your love for me, uh, because uh, just by being a priest new in a, in a church, you don't need to ask people to love you. You know, you have to really work hard for the people uh, appreciate what you do, and then. When you when you leave, you have to say to people, you know, just let me go, just let me go and pray for me, and there will be another one coming, and uh, and uh, that will continue the, the the work of the church. Yeah, I think I think that's important. I mean, I can see the attachment that people have. I mean, that's undeniable, but I think that that's actually healthy because when you see that and you see the parishioners pining for you when you leave, I think that means that you've had an impact. 
impact not just in kind of the worldly realm but realm but in their spiritual life and i can i mean there's a little bit of fear and trepidation maybe some anxiety on who's going to come next are they going to be able to you know feed them spiritually or not you know Mm -hmm. and that's where as a parishioner that's where it, it you know we have to be flexible um we have to be open to the next guy because that's great if you set the bar really high but there's nothing wrong with that. I think that the only time that that becomes a negative is that when the next guy comes, we're not receptive to him because we're always saying what the pre- the previous guy did. And he's held to this unrealistic standard that he can he can never achieve because we're so obstinate. You know what I mean? And I think the laity uh, as a whole, um, I think the laity, you know, they expect obedience from the priest, but they don't hold their same they don't hold themselves to the same standard when it comes to obedience, you know, for them. And obedience is a very important aspect of our spiritual life. And and in the hierarchy of the church, our relationship to, you know, the priests, the bishops, and, you know, not only that, our relationship to each other. You know, once we spoke about the importance of uh, being part of a parish, that's your parish family. That's who you identify with. That's, you know, well, it used to be a lot more Catholics on Sunday now with the pandemic we're limited but used to be surrounded with like four other Catholics you know at whatever mass time you were attending that in itself whether you know them personally you know their names or they know your names is is irrelevant because the fact is you could you should be able to draw strength and support that you were surrounded by them at that mass you know I think of the peace be with you you know when you're I mean you're giving the peace be with you you're gaining that love and support from your fellow Catholic. And if you're just going in there half invested, you're only giving up people of a small sliver of you and sliver of that goodwill. And you need to be really cognizant of that. And I spoke about that before. You know, how many times if, if we're going to buy something, say we're going to buy something, right? And it's not even like an expensive something. You research the crap out of that object. Man, you're like, you know, trying to find the best one for your needs. And then you move on to like trying to find the best priced one. You do all this research. You do all this legwork to get something. And it may only be like a $20 something, right? But then you come to Mass and you show up either 10 minutes late. And and by the way, I mean, everybody's been late before. I'm not talking about that. I mean, like chronically late. You show up 10 minutes late or you show up like two minutes before and then you go to mass and then you walk out and you're the first one to go, well, I got nothing from that. Well, how much did you put in? Hmm. How much did you put in? If you really feel that the mass is like the, the holiest thing that you can envision, that it is truly a miracle that is occurring on the altar, are you really not doing any prep before? And, and, and I'm not even talking about even reading the readings beforehand. I just mean, if you're just coming before, there's no way you can transition from, like, you were just washing your truck at 8.15 in the morning to come in the 9 o'clock mass and hoping to have a spiritual experience. It's, just, it's not going to happen. You know what I mean? And obviously, I'm a parent, so, I mean, there's things that are out of your control. It's the perfect morning. Everybody's dressed. Everybody's clean. You go to put them in the truck, and the world falls apart. And then you're late, Right? But, I mean, just on a normal Sunday, what are you doing to prepare yourself? Because there's a big transition, I think, in between when Mass starts and you kind of transforming uh, your heart and your mind to be in that proper place to experience the Mass at the fullest to you, of your capacity. You know what I'm saying? So, I don't know. I just don't think that you can witness something that miraculous 
when you're, you can't clear your mind from something else. I mean, personally, like when we were growing up, we always religiously had to be like 30 minutes be before Mass, which was like a huge pain as a kid, right? Like I got pinched <laughs> endless mm -hmm. times and I got oh, whipped yes. when I got home. Yep. And so it was, yeah, right? Yep. They still happen and I'm 30. <laughs> right? <laughs> it still happens. But I know like as an adult, like when I was on my own, I still kept, if I could, the 30 minutes because... Honestly, I'll just be honest with y'all. I needed to get early so that I could be like, what are we going to have for supper? Nope, not supposed to be thinking about that right now. Mm, I didn't get time to finish, you know, this. Nope, not supposed to be thinking about that right now. Like, to clear my mind of the distractions. Maybe I'm just that dumb. I don't know. But that's oh, no. how long it takes me to push everything. I'm not Teresa Avil over here. I just can't do that. I'm, you know? I am the first to be guilty of this. I will blare my rock music or my gangster rap or whatever it is in my car. And I will like have like, I have a bass in the back of my Mustang and I will feel it shake. And I will come into the church parking lot and be like, man, that was so not what I should have been doing. I should have been thinking about. And then you're like, like hey, Father Beto, how's it going? <laughs> right? And then Everyone you change the station and yeah. you scare, hallelujah. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'll say, and I'll say, well, Rach, Rach is. I know, he's, he's always telling she's me, he's really like, ready Rachel's for so holy, she's always prepped for mass. I just so, can't. so prepped. The hair is perfect, it's great. Well, guys, if you can believe it, that was the fastest hour well, ever. Like, it was so quick. Uh, but before we close out, Father, well, I know, can you believe that was I so I told you it was quick. Oh, let me tell you something real, real quick. Yeah, you know, we're please. talking about, you know, the, the holiness of the Eucharist and then being punctual and things like that. But let me tell you experience that I had when I was a seminarian. We were sent to small places to uh, catechize to, to communities uh, when I was in the seminary. And, and we would have to walk like four, five hours back and forth to get to these places. And the first the first thing that we asked, uh, how often do you have Mass? Ooh, they said, if uh, the priest has time, we'll have Mass every month. Yeah, that's And that's, that's when you say, you know, you have seven Masses on a Sunday. And then we complain that, oh, I don't have time. Oh, uh, I'll do it next time. Uh, is when you say, you, you have you have it now. Appreciate it. Because probably in the future, who, who said you were talking about in the previous in previous podcasts about the shortage of priests? St. Patrick has been blessed so much to have one or two priests always. Can you imagine having no priest and having this priest coming from, let's say, from uh, San Luis Obispo? as the head of uh, the area, to celebrate Mass at St. Patrick's once every week. I hope not, but we have to appreciate what we have and, and really get into the Mass with a true spirit and, and be able to leave what we celebrate. Yes, you de yeah. you definitely uh, been blessed here. I mean, we can. that's something I want to talk about at some time in the future, but I know like where I'm from, they've... Uh, in the last 10 years, they've experienced the cluster effect where the yeah. parishes have yeah. to be combined. And and the, you are really, really blessed here that you have so many mass times to pick from. Mm -hmm. And um, that just geographically, if these mass times here don't work, you don't really have to ride that far to, mm -hmm. you know, to find a whole new yes. set of mass yes. times. Mm -hmm. no, that is so foreign to me because everywhere I have moved to in my life, when I find a Catholic parish, there's always lists of masses to go to. So the idea of like once a month or the cluster effect of having multiple parishes in for one time, that's just, it's so, it makes me so grateful. Like hearing what the opportunities oh, we blessed. have here. So, um, uh, 
Father, we are inviting you to say the closing prayer, and then we'll say our closing statements. So, Father, please. Well, first of all, I want to thank you once again for inviting me. Thank you for being here. Thanks for coming. And for the people who will be listening to this uh, reflection, this podcast, uh, I want to ask God to bless all of them and continue to bless uh, Stacy and Rachel as they continue to bring the Word of God and the reflections and uh, the challenges for uh, listeners. Lord, give us your blessing and, and give us uh, a kind heart and uh, a loving attitude so that when we approach people in church, outside, everywhere, uh, we are living witnesses and, and example and, and uh, giving always light to what it's like to be a follower of Christ. And we ask all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. 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 Well, Heavenly Lord, bless us all in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Guys, this has been our Trial by Fire podcast. Thank you so much for joining us, Father. Thank you again. Uh, This is Rachel and Stace signing out. Have a beautiful week. See you all next week. Thank you.